this morning. Uh, so if you have a Bible, go ahead over to Mark 9, turn on to Mark 9. Um, if you don't have any way of reading the scriptures, we have some Bibles up front. Um, feel free to grab one of those and you can take it home with you. That's our gift to, uh, to you. And so uh, this morning we're continuing on uh, through a portion of Mark's gospel um, in which we are seeing now Jesus um, speak more intentionally with his disciples about the coming crucifixion, his coming crucifixion, um, the resurrection, uh, the kingdom, right? And uh, what their lives will indeed look like in light of following after him. And that's where we kind of come in, uh, where we kind of come in this morning. We're going to be um, looking at uh, a, a lot that Jesus has to say about service this morning, and we're going to see that that living in obedience to the call of Christ and serving one another and serving Him as He has served us, right, um, is challenging, right? That it, it makes for um, it makes for oftentimes an uncomfortable life, uh, but it makes for a a joyful life, um, and so that's what we're going to see this morning, which is uh, again an attitude shift. Uh, for many of us, this idea of service and self-sacrifice that we see Jesus model for us um, and then uh, communicate to his disciples seeking to inform and transform the way that we are to live. Over the past couple of weeks, we have seen uh, the three disciples witness the transfiguration of Jesus on the mountain. Um, they had seen at this point, as we come into our passage today, the healing of the deaf, mute, demon-oppressed son uh, in verses 14 through 29. That was last week. Last week was a busy week, right, Uh, in Mark 9. Uh, And then they they heard the words of Jesus in verses 30 through 32 concerning, again, his death. And as we come into our, our portion of Mark 9 today, we see that the disciples are passing through Galilee on their way to Capernaum. Uh, And we see on this journey, Jesus' friends, his disciples, engaging in a conversation that produces uh, both a teaching opportunity for them from Jesus, as well as an encouraged attitude shift uh, for his followers, for the church. And so uh, let me give you a a main idea that we're going to seek to wrap our our mind uh, around this morning. This is what we're going to be working for. So if you take notes. This would be a really wonderful thing to, uh, to write down. We're going to see from Mark 9 today that Christ calls his followers to greater intimacy with God through their service to one another and in turn to him. Let me say that one more time. We're going to see today from Mark 9 that Christ calls his followers to greater intimacy with God through their service to one another and in turn their service to to him, The way that we serve one another and the way that we understand that being in service to Christ is informed by what we see in this passage today from Mark uh, chapter 9. And so our aim is to both hear and see Christ's call to live the servant life. Okay, to hear and to see as Jesus is going to provide this really, really cool demonstration that displays more clearly what he says about living the servant life, and then to embrace deeper intimacy with God. Now, as we embrace deeper intimacy with God based on what we see here in Mark 
chapter 9, we must know that this is going to bring about a rejection of partiality and an active, self-sacrificing love for one another. Okay, And so to, uh, to embrace deeper intimacy with God, based on what we see here in Mark's gospel, is going to require a rejection of partiality. We're going to unpack that a little bit more. If you're confused at all about what that means, hang with us. We're going to... Uh, get there, and an active, self-sacrificing love for other people, for one another. And so that's where we are in Mark chapter 9. Everybody feel caught up so far? Awesome. Wonderful. I will take your silence to mean yes. So let's continue on in Mark chapter 9. We actually read verses 30 through 32 last week, but we're going to pick back up there uh, again. We're going to read that to start our time together. Um, so this is, uh, this is God's words. Verse uh, 30 of Mark chapter 9. And they went on from there and passed through Galilee. And he did not want anyone to know, for he was teaching his disciples, saying to them, The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he is killed, after three days he will rise. But they did not understand the saying and were afraid to ask him. And so we see again, We're halfway through. We're over halfway through Mark's gospel at this point. And still the disciples are struggling with this idea of a crucified Messiah. Right? The resurrection is a totally foreign concept because they can't even begin to, at this point, wrap their minds around uh, 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 the Son of Man coming to die. Right? And so they get the idea of resurrection perhaps, but they certainly don't get it as it relates to Jesus because they could never even begin at this particular point in time in history to understand that he was going to die on the cross for them, for sinners. Verse 33. And they came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house, he asked them, what were you discussing on the way? But they kept silent. For on the way, they had argued with one another about who was the greatest, And he sat down and called the twelve. And he said to them, if anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. And he took a child and put him in the midst of them. And taking him in his arms, he said to them, whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives not me. But him who sent me. Hey, let's pray together. Father, thank you this morning for your word uh, and for your goodness and your grace, your love for us and your commitment to, um, to our transformation. We see that yet again this morning. We pray that you would, um, as only you can, by the power of your spirit, open our eyes and our hearts and our minds to the good news, the truth of the gospel, um, and all that you would have to say to us in your word this morning. And it's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Amen. And so as we as we continue on through Mark 9 this morning, we read 30 through 32 for context sake. Now we go on into verse 33. And we see this very, very first observation that we want to take note of this morning. This, this call. This, this call to a servant life. Okay, so, so if, again, if you're taking notes, make note of this. The first thing that we can observe as we come to our passage today is that we can hear Christ's call to live the servant 
life, as we worked through Mark 6, so I'm, trans, I'm going back. I'm going back in time a, a little bit. I'm trans, transferring us back. We saw the death of John the Baptist, and we saw Jesus feeding the 5,000, and we focused in on the generous and compassionate character of Jesus. I love what the commentator Ken Hughes has to say in relation to what we have seen from and about Jesus uh, through Mark 6 and on up into uh, where we find ourselves this morning. He says, regardless of whether you are a believer or not, if you cannot imagine that Jesus has tender compassion for you, you simply do not know what he is like. And so this morning, we're encouraged to revisit this truth, to know that we have not left these things in the rear view, but that they remain before us. What is that? Well, Christ's compassion, right? His, his care, his self-sacrifice, his obedience, and his commitment to God's words. They remain with us, and they remain before us as Jesus presents his followers with a point of application that they would continue to struggle with. This is going to be a continuous point of struggle and tension for the disciples. All that Jesus is speaking about here and what we've seen him talking about as we look back even at Mark chapter, Mark chapter 6, right? It's a truth, it's a reality that we continue to struggle with as well, serving one another and serving people. And so let's check in with what's going on with the disciples at this particular point. The disciples have developed this attitude that they were a people to be served and honored and esteemed and exalted, right? After all, they had been recipients of a most unique power from Jesus, right? If we flip back in Mark's gospel, we can see that Jesus, um, he, he, he sends the disciples out with his message and with his power to do some really amazing works, they come back and they report, and we see that they have indeed been participants uh, with a most unique power from Jesus in mission. They had witnessed things that no one else had seen. Just think back a couple of weeks to where we see the transfiguration of Jesus. The disciples are witnessing something, uh, those three that are with him, that no one else has seen. In fact, we see the disciples witnessing something that those who had come before them longed to see. We see the disciples experiencing and hearing teaching that no one else had heard. They're able to, to hear the explanation of parables. And so we can say that this is indeed a most privileged group in that they are in close proximity to Jesus. And because they're in close proximity to Jesus, they're observing a lot of things that those on the outside are not able, are not able to. Then we come to verse 30. We come to verse 30 and we see that they are passing through Galilee. Jesus is explaining to them yet again his crucifixion and the subsequent resurrection. They don't understand. We go into verse 33 and we see that they came to Capernaum. And when he was in the house, he asked them, what were you discussing on the way? So Jesus is engaging his disciples about a conversation that they had had on the way to Capernaum, but they kept silent, for on the way they had been arguing with one another about who was the greatest. Again, among the disciples, a culture of comparison has 
developed? What's the question that they're wrestling with in light of the transfiguration and coming off the mountain and seeing Jesus perform this incredible, miraculous work that they were incapable of dealing with? The question that they are asking among themselves is, who is the greatest? Who is the most important? Where do we find ourselves in the lineup? Where are we in the pecking order? And it's not so much a conversation comparing uh, the 12 to the crowds outside, but instead a comparison within themselves. They're comparing one another. Where are we on uh, the lineup card, right? To, to, to borrow a baseball illustration. Where are we in, uh, where are we in the lineup? And Jesus gets this. Right? Jesus understands. Perhaps the disciples believed themselves to be out of earshot of Jesus as they engaged in this dialogue on the way to Capernaum, but clearly they were not. Jesus knows what's going on, and he addresses it with his disciples. Verse 33, what were you discussing on the way? And the disciples respond with silence. Right? They, they don't say Anything. They are completely silent. Undoubtedly, they are surprised. Perhaps they are a little embarrassed, maybe a little nervous about where Jesus is going with this whole thing, right? We, we get this idea based on what we read in the passage that there is maybe even some degree of conviction, right? This is a conversation that perhaps should not have been uh, taking place. We can gather all of these things from their, uh, from their responses, how did he hear us? Right? I imagine like that is one question that's that's going on through their in their minds, right? Like how did how did he hear us, right? Like how does how does he know that we were having this conversation? Because this conversation is not a mark of kingdom citizens. You see, this conversation that they're having, that they're engaging with, we can touch base with, we can understand the conversation that they are having, but it is not a conversation that is the mark of the blessed of Matthew chapter 5, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, right? In which we uh, see the poor in spirit being this blessed group, those who mourn their sin, the meek, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, the merciful, the pure in heart, and the peacemakers. The conversation, the dialogue that they are having among themselves does not display marks of this particular, these particular characteristics, these traits that mark citizens of the kingdom. Verse 35, And Jesus sat down and he called the twelve, and he said to them, He's going to clarify yet again, right, reinforcing what greatness looks like in this new kingdom economy. We're not talking the economy of the world because the conversation that they're having among themselves make a, makes a lot of sense uh, when, it comes to, uh, when it comes to worldly culture, right? Who is the greatest? Who is the highest? Who is to be most esteemed? This is not something that's lost in the culture of the day. The disciples get this. We get this. What Jesus says to them, however, is that this is not what uh, this is not what greatness looks like in this new kingdom economy. Not as, as the world or the culture defines it, but how the king now defines it. We're seeing a new definition. Right? We're seeing greatness redefined here in Mark chapter, uh, Mark chapter 9, verse 35. He said to them, if anyone would be first, 
He must be last of all and servant of all. And so we get this really genuine, radical statement from Jesus towards his disciples and the culture. You see, rank dictated and dictates day in, day out life. Who is greater and how much honor are they to be, uh, they to be offered from, from me to other people, from others to me? Right? It, was a, it was a constant consideration for the people. It was and is often a natural way of thinking. Jesus, however, takes this natural way of thinking and he tosses it. Right? He, he, he tosses it away. He tosses it totally out the window. He exposes it. He dismantles it. Right? If the natural human instinct is to dominate, to be first, to be elevated, and in turn to be served, then this is to transform the condition of our hearts. It's to expose something about ourselves. Right? Do, do you, are you keen enough with where you are and who you are to understand that this is oftentimes the bend of our own hearts? Right? How high in the pecking order am I? How esteemed am I to be? We work and we work and we work and we work and we do for power and prestige oftentimes. Right? That we might be elevated among a particular group or be admired right, in a specific way, in a very particular way by a specific group. This is what the disciples are wrestling with here, and it is not altogether unfamiliar from what we experience in our day-to-day lives. We see, however, that this transformed heart requires self-sacrifice and self-forgetfulness. Right? It will require humility leading to a transformed perspective and a new way of thinking. Let's check in. Let's say this, that this is not solely a disciple problem, this conversation about who is the greatest. Okay, but this is a people problem. This is not a first century problem, but it's a 20th century problem as well. The heart of the issue here is our problem, right? A a problem of, of, of domination, that has produced an attitude among the disciples that reflects our sinful tendencies and runs in stark contrast to that which Jesus desires for his people. And that's what he's saying here in this passage. I caught wind of the conversation that you were engaged in. And what I'm here to tell you is this, right? That the kingdom economy of God looks different. That the conversation that you are having is foreign as it relates to God's kingdom, as it relates to how we are to relate to one another, all of it informed by how Christ has related with us, how Christ has condescended and entered the human condition. Serving people, the will of the Father, committed to the cross, all of the things that we see as the gospel is is unpacked and, and proclaimed. Christians are called to radicalness. Okay, Christians are called to radicalness. The call to live and be great is ultimately a call to serve and even to die. Servants in this life will rule the next. 
Slaves in this life will be kings forever. But it all is a realization. It's all experienced in light of this, this casting upon the service of Jesus, what Christ has come to do. Christ models here. Right? He models here, and he will model yet again later on what it looks like to live in service to one another. It's not about who is to be most esteemed. It's about outserving one another. That's what it looks like to live as a citizen of the kingdom, right? to outserve one another. It's not as though other people are more important than you are, but you ought to treat other people as more important than you are. We see Jesus model this as he, as he stoops down. The king of the world, baby, right? He stoops down and he washes the disciples' feet. He, he serves them. He shows us over the course of the next few chapters in the remainder of his earthly ministry, what it looks like to live this type of life. That's what Jesus is introducing here. He's introducing them, he's calling them back to self-forgetfulness and service to people. Now he's about to show us what this looks like. And so first we get this, hear what it looks, hear what it sounds like, right? Hear it. Then we continue on and we see that Christ displays it. He says, see the call. First, it's hear the call. And then he says, see the call. See Christ's call to live the servant life. Look at verse 36 with me. It says in verse 36 that Jesus, having just engaged the disciples in this conversation, dismantling and transforming their current way of thinking, he calls, he takes a child, and he puts him in the midst of them. And taking them in his arms, he said to them, okay, so Jesus is now going to reinforce his words. He's going to reinforce what he has just said by enacting a parable that displays how Christ's people were to treat one another. Look at verse 37 with me. He says in verse 37, whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. And whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. Now, this is really interesting. And I'm about to drag you into an old language study for just a moment. Okay, The, the same word that Jesus uses in verse 35 for servant He uses here in relation to the child. And so we're seeing that he's connecting what he is displaying for the disciples now reinforces what he has just said to them about living the servant servant life. And the message is this. Okay, the message is this from Jesus. So tune in right here, right? Here, Here is what he is saying. You must receive my children. Other servants and and other disciples with the same open arms and love that I receive this child with. That's the message of Jesus. He's showing them what it looks like to receive his children. He's modeling that directly connected with with the servant attitude and mentality that he had just spoken about. This is what it looks like to, to greet one another, to welcome one another, to love and to care for one another. And this is what's so beautiful, and this is what's so interesting, is that Jesus uses this child illustration in other ways. He talks about those who would inherit the kingdom, right, coming as 
children, right, who, who are unable to provide for themselves and, and meet their own daily needs, let alone their long-term eternal needs. Jesus here says, okay, children, welcome children, right? Children, welcome children with open arms and with, with love as I have received this child. Jesus says that the who is better than who conversation has no place in how they relate with one another. Jesus says that when his followers do this, that when they receive him, that they receive the Father. And here we see the mystery of the body of Christ, God dwelling, right? God dwelling, God taking up residence, God abiding in and with his people. Jesus says that as we receive his children, there is a sense in which we get this, as we receive his children, there is a sense in which we receive him. That's that's what he's saying. Right? As you receive the children, so too do you receive me. And as we talk about children, we're talking about those adopted into, again, the family of God, relating with people, with one another, to live the spirit-filled life, which is what we're talking about here. Okay, Because all of these things, listen to this, are marks of the spirit-filled life. To live this type of life requires the transformation of God's spirit within our hearts. It requires a regeneration, right? It requires that we be made alive because our natural tendency is to what? Well, to look out for ourselves and to seek self-exaltation and ourselves at the very top of the ladder, ruling and reigning over as many people as possible. And so in so order for this transformation to take place, we see that regeneration must occur, that our dead hearts that beat for self must be transformed. They must be made new into hearts of flesh that beat for God and desire to live in obedience to his word and to his will. Right? To to live the spirit-filled life is to receive and to love people, especially those within the body of Christ. Get this. This is so important. To act contrary to this, Okay, so to, to reject this idea is to sin. It is sinful to do so. This is what James writes in James chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of Glory, for if a man wearing a gold ring, so he gets really specific here, and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing comes also in, right? And if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing, and you say, hey, you sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit down at my feet, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges? With evil thoughts? This is convicting, right? This is, this is challenging. This, this exposes the sin within our hearts and the sin within our minds, the way that we naturally relate with other people so often. There is this requirement to engage in this type of life, a transformed heart, a redeemed heart, and a life that is willing to stay 
love. Do you know what I mean by that? Right? To, to, to stay humble. We can all think of and make note of experiences in our lives that make us humble, that they give way to humility, in that they slay our pride, right? Try to do something that makes you uncomfortable, right? I, I, I am not, I'm not a vocalist, okay? If I was to get up here and I was to try to lead you in song the way Jacqueline and Walt do every week, it would indeed be a humbling experience. <laughs> for me, and in some form or fashion for you, I can imagine as well. Right? And so what does it look like out of the transformed heart, a redeemed heart that is made alive by Christ? Right? We stay low. Right? We don't get too big for uh, our britches. Right? To borrow an old, an old term. But we are in tune. And we're in touch with, with who we are. We're in tune and we're in touch with our own needs. We're in tune and we're in touch. We're reminded of what Christ has done for us, that we brought nothing to the table. Hey, nothing in our hands we bring. But simply to the cross we, we cling. And so to, to, to be brought low, right, and to, to be humble, these attitudes that produce self-forgetfulness and self-service to other people flows from a life that is, that is often, that is continuously revisiting the gospel. And we'll talk about that in just a few minutes. Jesus here is pointing his people toward the path that he would walk for us so that we might follow after him, dying to self, serving others, caring for the oppressed and the marginalized, we see that in God's economy, the way up is by what? It's by going down. We see that the way to receive is to give. The way to be first is actually to be last. That is what we see over the course of of this passage. And the gospel displays it for us. Right, think for just a moment how the incarnation alone speaks toward the reality that Jesus is calling his people toward here and reinforcing for their lives. You have Jesus existing in perfect and intimate, intimate community and fellowship with the Father and with the Spirit before the foundations of the world. On into eternity past, there was never a time that they did not enjoy perfect intimacy and community with one another. And so how does the incarnation inform uh, the way that we see all that Jesus is talking about here? Well, because Jesus makes himself low, right? He, He leaves the perfect fellowship and the perfect intimacy and the perfect community that he had enjoyed within the Godhead on back into eternity past. He leaves that in order to enter the world, a a world that he created, a a world that rebelled, a a world that, that bears the marks and the scars of sin, and at the same time, in a really strange way, is incredibly beautiful. And points us towards the existence in and of itself of God. He leaves that and he enters into he enters into creation as a child. And he experiences temptation in all of the ways that we have been tempted. This is what the author of Hebrews says. 
Only he is without sin in all the ways that we have failed. Christ has not. And so he lives the life that God has called people to live. A life that we have rejected. A life that we are incapable in and of ourselves living. Christ lives it. And then, get this. Okay, so living in service to the Father would make perfect sense, right? Because Christ and, and, and the Father and the Spirit have existed in perfect intimate community before the foundations of the world. So Jesus living in service to the Father and even the Father's will, right, makes perfect sense, But one thing that does throw us through a major loop is when we consider Christ's service to people, right? Christ's service of people, those who have spurred him, who have rebelled from him, who upon the cross would leave him. Christ serves, right? And so all that we see Jesus calling his people towards here, right? Becoming low, becoming of no reputation, being last, Right? Humble, killing pride, and embracing a difficult path. I mean, Jesus lives all of that, right? He lives it all, and that's incredibly important because you and I have no desire and we have no hope to live this type of self sacrificing life apart from the Spirit of God moving in our lives and taking up residence in our hearts. Enabling us now to to walk and live and to desire the life of Christ to be displayed in us and through us to the glory of the Father. Are you guys with me? Right? Do we understand that apart from the gospel, all that we see, all that we see Jesus calling his disciples to here is an impossibility? Right? That it just simply will not happen. It will not work. And so we begin asking ourselves a series of questions. In light of what we see in this passage, we see Jesus calling his followers to die to themselves. And so we ask, as followers of Jesus, are we dying to ourselves? Or are we, are we dying to ourselves? Are you dying to yourself? If you need help in this area, begin by preaching the gospel to yourself every day, Right? Preach the gospel to yourself every day, and your service to other people will become much more manageable. Why? Well, because we're aware of Christ's service to us. And one of the things that hinders most oftentimes our service to other people is this feeling that we are in some way superior to them, which is the conversation the disciples are having in Mark 9. We're not superior, right? And and, and grasping that, that realization informed by the gospel transforms the way that we live our lives, right? It it changes the way that we live our lives in in a number of ways. Let's ask another question. Does our life display this type of Christian service? If yes, wonderful. If yes, wonderful. Praise God, know that there is a great benefit for your service as Christ is elevated. As Christ is elevated and and your relationship with the Father and people progresses. But if not, perhaps it's because you don't know how. Perhaps it's because you don't know how to begin living this type of Christian service in relationship with other people. And so let me give you a few ways informed by scripture. 
Here's another way that we can serve one another. Serve one another through accountability. As Christians, we serve one another through accountability. James 5, verse 16, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other. Romans 15, verse 14, instruct one another. Ephesians 4, verse 25, speak truthfully. And so we can live in service to one another through accountability. Serve one another through forgiveness and reconciliation. Can you right now think of someone that you are currently in relationship with or perhaps broken relationship with in which reconciliation is something that needs to be experienced? I'm sure that you can. I'm sure that we can think of, of relationships that are in need of being reconciled. Did you know that forgiveness is a form of service. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 2, Paul writes this, Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Colossians 3, verse 13, Forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Galatians 5, verse 25, Don't provoke uh, or envy one another. James chapter 4, verse 11, You guys are getting all these, right? Do not slander one another, right? Matthew chapter 5, verses 23 through 24, 18, and 15. Reestablish broken relationships with one another. And so let's talk extremely practically for just a moment. Christ, in service to the will of the Father and in service to a people, has reconciled, has redeemed a broken relationship with God that you and I experience. He he has fixed it, right? He has remedied it. He has redeemed it by setting himself as our atonement, by, by setting himself in our place and taking upon himself our punishment for all of our rebellion and the brokenness of the relationship to begin with. Jesus does this. Are you guys with me? Jesus does does this. And so, naturally, it would make sense that as we seek to serve one another, it will oftentimes produce opportunities for forgiveness, right? For, for engagement and relationships that you might, even as you sit here now, you go, that bridge is so far burned that I can't even imagine. I can't even begin to imagine how it will be reconstructed. Man, it is service to one another. It is gospel service to one another that Jesus is calling his people towards here. Christ calls his disciples to obedience. That, as we have already said, is impossible to accomplish in our own strength. Only if we flip ahead a tad. I feel like we've referenced the book of Acts a lot over the past couple of weeks. But if you go to Acts chapter 2... We've seen the disciples struggle, and we will see them continue to struggle with the teachings of Jesus as we continue through the Gospel of Mark. In Acts chapter 2, we see God pour out his spirit upon his people. And as his spirit resides within his people, we see this transformed community. We see these transformed lives. We see lives that reflect Christian service and accountability and forgiveness to one another in the same way that we see Jesus calling us to live here. 
You, you get as, and I may have said this a couple of weeks ago, if you read through Acts chapter 2, the first couple chapters are as close to utopian society as we can get on this side of the cross. We see people living self-sacrificially and, and, and selling their things and giving to those who have need, right? Willing to occupy that last place in line out of service and gratitude to Jesus for what he has What he has done, pride within the human heart is exposed and it is replaced as a life of radical Christian service is made possible. Humility and generosity become marks of Jesus' people. Become marks. Identifying traits and characteristics within God's people. We, we observe, again, the self-sacrificing, God-glorifying, Christ-exalting, Spirit-empowered life that puts others before ourselves, as Christ puts us before Himself, embracing the agony of the cross and taking our penalty so that we might have His righteousness and, in turn, know God. At the cross, we see Christ's service for His people. At the cross, we see Christ's service for his people. Upon the throne, Christ continues, even now, to serve his people as his blood saves and sustains. And so let's not, uh, let's not fall into this trap of believing that, okay, now we're kind of on our own, because we're not. Christ continues to save and, and to serve and to reconcile broken people to the Father. And so let's ask ourselves again, does your life display this type of Christian service? Love and humility, self-forgetfulness and self-sacrifice for the good of others. To be a Christian, it must. Alistair Begg said it like this, it is impossible to serve God without serving one another. That is a monumental statement. He says, it is an impossibility to serve God without serving one another. And so we see, again, Jesus, in his service to the Father, serves people. And so, let's do that, right? Like, let, let's, let's do that in light of what Christ has done for us to the glory of God. Right, to the glory of the Father. This is a glorifying thing. The Lord glorifies himself through his people's service to one another. To serve Christ is to serve people with redeemed hearts and a joyful spirit. That's an aspect that we didn't even begin to touch on. <laughs> right? But it's there. Right? This is a joyful experience for God's people. The Bible tells us that for the joy set before him, Christ endured the cross. Right? Difficulty and pain and suffering and anguish in our place for the joy set before him, Christ endures the cross. And so let us not be confused that self-sacrificing servant lives equate with miserable lives. That is not what the Bible teaches. In fact, we see again and again and again God's people finding joy in the midst of service as their hearts have been transformed to live out this type of 
of life. This is our model. This is our model of Christian death and Christian service. And so as we go to the table this morning, I want us to um, consider a handful of things. I want us to, to consider I want us to consider how this portion of Mark 9 challenges and informs current relationships or trends in our own lives. If you've been fighting to get to the front, man, let us step back, right? And let us be willing to, in service to Christ and out of a desire for greater intimacy with God, to occupy that position at the end. To live lives committed to pouring ourselves out as Christ has modeled this for us and fulfilled it in a perfect way that you and I uh, that you and I are continuing even now as we sit here this morning to benefit from. Let's consider those things as we go to the table uh, this morning um, and ask the Lord to begin transforming our hearts to live this type of life.